It is such an honor and a blessing to be in the house of the Lord with you guys today. If you're glad to be in God's house, say amen. amen. Yes, 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 yes. So um, Pastor Reagan told me not to do this. I did it first service, so I guess I'm being a little bit disobedient. Um, I do want to thank um, just the pastors we have of this house. Man, it is such, such a blessing. Some of you guys know them personally. Some of you guys don't. But their heart for you, their heart for this church, it comes out not only what they say, but what they do and how they live it. Um, that's really connected. And I, I didn't want to leave this place without you guys knowing this because it's an honor to be here with you. My brothers and sisters, you got out of the bed, you came on Father's Day, and God said, hey, you need to be in the house of the Lord. So I'm just so thankful for all of you guys. Um, happy Father's Day to all the dads out here. Can we give the dads a hand clap? Man. I mean, dads, you get up to work early, right? You come home late, you're praying, the fixer-upper dads, the dads cutting grass, um, the dads walking you down the aisle, the dads giving advice, throwing the ball with you. Man, dads, you do a lot, and I'm so, so happy for the men of God that we have in this house. You don't have that a lot of places in our culture, and our society, so that's such a huge thing. Do not take that for granted. So... One of the things I've learned in my short time of being a father is that Father's Day and Mother's Day, it, it doesn't come with the same gift equity, right? It's just not the same. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that because I think our mothers deserve it. I have a great mother, and she's always been there. My wife is awesome, so I don't mind blessing them and doing extra, but there is a double standard, right? Amen. How many of you guys believe me there's a double standard with that, Okay. Yeah, I see some dads, it's like, no, she's right next to me, so I can't, can't say anything. Blink twice if you believe there's a double standard, right? So there, there's a double standard with that. Um, they asked one little boy to explain Father's Day, and he says, well, it's just like Mother's Day, you just don't, you just don't spend as much on the gift, right? So there's a, there's a double standard there. So for moms, they get really expensive flowers. Those flowers cost a lot. I mean, they die in a week, but they, they're not, not cheap. Um, jewelry. I bought my wife a nice necklace one Mother's Day. And then just wherever they want to go, the mothers deserve it. Take them wherever. Steak, lobster, you name it. My wife likes this little fondue foo-foo place, but wherever she wants to go. But men, it's a little different, right? We get dress socks, right? I don't even wear dress socks. Um, we get your nice sports-themed tie, all right? Your favorite sports-themed tie. I don't wear ties. And, right, we get a chance to go on the grill and grill our own dinner for Father's Day, all right? Yeah, don't worry about it. He loves the grill, right? Every man loves in 90 degree heat to be standing in front of an open flame. That's what we all desire. We all love that. So there's a little, you know, I'm just kidding with you guys. I'm just teasing. I, I love Father's Day, but seriously, if my kids are listening. I don't need another tie. I don't need another tie. I don't need another tie. So when I was asked to speak at, at Father's, for Father's Day, um, a question came to mind. And the question was this, who am I as a father? And that's a big question if you sit and you think about it, like who am I as a father? So I had a chance to speak a few months ago. Some of you men were there at the men's breakfast and I talked about just the season of my life and the, the busyness of this season in my life and am I giving God excellence in everything I do? And I thought about that dynamic as a father and it's like, man, am I really honoring you in that season. Our first child, my wife was pregnant. She was praying for her child. We had our first child. I remember sitting on the bed with her and she was pregnant. And she, she had this immediate emotional connection, this bond that mothers had, and she was trying to express it with me. And she thought naturally that I would have it because she was feeling it. And I didn't. And she would say, hey, just put your hand on my, my stomach. And do you feel that? You feel that? You feel that kick? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if it's indigestion or whatever. But I'm like, yeah, I'm going along with it. I feel the kick. And then you go into the ultrasounds, you dads, and you've been there. And it come a little bit more to life, but not all the way there for me, right? They put it on there, and you see this screen. And it's either, it's either a little baby boy or it's an alien because all this stuff. And you really can't tell the difference of it. And I just didn't feel the same emotional connection that she did. What came to mind for me, like maybe most of you fathers, was like, man, we got to get a bigger place. We got to feed this kid. What about college? Like all these external factors I was thinking about as providers that we are as dads, and I didn't feel that connection. 
It didn't come to me until water broke, went to doctor's hospital, we're in the emergency room, doctor delivers the baby, you fathers know exactly what I'm talking about, clean the baby up, put the baby on the mother's chest, there's this moment as Pastor Reagan and Joy, they've been very close to our family, so you've got close family and friends there in the hospital room with us, and then that awkward moment comes, right, where it's time for them to give the baby to the father, and the nurse says, all right, dad, take your shirt off and get skin to skin so you can bond with the baby. Is that just me? Maybe that's just doctor's hospital, doctor's hospital thing. So I didn't take my shirt off, but I felt for the first time that connection with that baby. And it became real to me then, right? It became a glimpse of what God gives us fathers is joys, right? We get to provide for this life. We get to build relationship with this. And it became real for me then. And so for me, seeing was believing in my dynamic of fatherhood. So I wanna take you guys a little bit into who I am as a father. I wanna preface something really, really quick. I'm not a picture guy. There's something about me. I don't like taking pictures. I'd rather be the guy behind the camera and take the picture. But in, in a little bit more context of that, like when I was a teenager, I had a declaration that I would never take another picture again. Just when people were taking it, I'd be outside of it and I'd live the rest of my life not taking a picture again. But some egghead in Harvard created a social media platform and everybody wants to take pictures and tags so that didn't work out for me. <laughs> my wife, just, she just loves any opportunity for a photo op. It can be anything like, oh, it's the third Tuesday at the Grovetown um, Applebee's. We've never been here and the kids are all white. Photo op, let's take one. It's like, that's not a significant moment. That's not special to me. And then I'm be I belong to a church that every single holiday we're going to have a photo booth. So dads, get ready after service. So I wanna show you a picture of my family here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought if I bombed, if I showed that, that'd be good because I'd get some off, so that's, that's really good. Um, so the guy that's um, looking like he's about to get processed, that's my oldest son. Yeah, that's Stefan. And so Stefan actually had a declaration before this picture that he'd never take pictures again. It didn't work out too well. He didn't know who his mother was. So, so Stefan, is a, he's a ball of energy, right? Like he runs around and if you go out in the atrium after service, you may just enter a game of tag that you didn't even know you were playing, right? He might just come up and tag you. The little girl there, that's my heart, that's Anna Ashland, she's six years old. And so Anna is my sweetheart. She is sweet, she is kind. When daddy's coming home from work, she's running up to me, she's giving me a hug and it's such a beautiful thing. But there's a contrast because she's such an emotional fireball. Like I remember one time and Cece, she had to be out of town for something and I had all the kids, it was nighttime. She comes running into my room, daddy, daddy, daddy. What's wrong? What's wrong? I thought I had to get my gun, call the cops. What's going on? You didn't tuck me in. I'm like, is that it? It's like, you could have just came to me. We would have done that. It didn't take all that. And then the youngest up there, that's Jeremiah James. That's my preacher's name right there. And we're still figuring out his personality, but his love language is, is growling. So anything bears, lions, dragons, he will growl at you. And so last but not least, that's my beautiful wife, Cece. Yeah, yes, give it up for you, baby. Um, outside of God, she's the most significant person why I am a father, right? She did most of the heavy lifting in those delivery stories, it was her. So that's the reason I'm a father here today. And so when I think, of, well, when I think about that, like my, my total years of fatherhood experience, when I do the second and third kid multiplier, I have about 15 years experience once you have the multiplier on that I'm bringing you today for this Father's Day sermon. So if you haven't been here in June, it's been a great, great series. Um, we've done people, places, and things, right? And so this is a little special intermediary in between that, and so this is our Father's Day sermon, but I'm gonna go along the same theme because I wanna take you to a person and I wanna take you to a place. So the title of my message today is Father's Heart. And I'm gonna give us some context and break that down to really get to the Father's heart. And so what I want us to get out of this is to understand God's love, we have to understand his heart, right? And there are some things and some nuances that may be roadblocks of that today. So church, if you will, if you will pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I am so honored to be before you with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so honored, God. I'm so humbled to be able to bring your word. I ask that none of it comes from me, but all of it comes from you. I ask that each and every person under the sound of my voice, whether here listening or online, God, that they can open up their heart to who you are and the true character of the Father's heart. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 So I want to do something a little bit different today. Um, I want to take you to a place. So I'm not necessarily going to preach a sermon to you. It might get a little preachy at times. I'm not necessarily going to teach you anything, but I have some points where I want to teach you. But what I want to do is I want to take you to my personal devotion time with God. My intimate place is when Pastor Reagan said, hey, I want you to preach on Father's Day. I want to take you to where I already am. So my prayer time, my devotional time, what I was reading. So I want to take you into that place, if that's okay. And with that, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you guys. And I feel like we're family here, so I feel like that's okay. So um, I want to ask you guys a question. What comes to mind when you see or hear the word father? So we're in church. So the first thing that may come to your mind is our heavenly father, which is good, right? I think we should know that God has this representation of God, but God the Father. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus is describing God over 150 times, he uses this relationship of God the Father. Previously, in the Old Testament, you would see it a few times, but it would be the Lord our God, right? They would look at this high entity of God, but Jesus makes it more personal with us. The next thing that may come to mind is maybe your earthly father. And for a lot of us, that brings context because that's what we see and hear every day. He may even be sitting here with you. You might be going to dinner. You might have sent him a text or some perception, you know, maybe he's passed away or maybe you've had some other father aspect. And that's typically what can come to mind when you hear those two things. So we all have this perception of a father. There's good fathers out there. There's stepfathers that have come in and taken the place Um, There's godfathers, there's spiritual fathers, there's perception of fathers that we get from other outlets. We all have this idea of an earthly father. So what I did is what everybody does when they seek information, I wanted to ask Google, what did you think about father, right? I feel like when there's a time capsule 100 or 200 years from now, it's just going to be an iPad with a Safari and it's going to say, just ask Google whatever you want to know, because Google has all the answers, right? And so Google says something a tad bit differently, right? So ask Google what comes to mind when they hear the word father and abusive father came to mind. Demanding father. Um, Addictive father. Unfaithful. Neglectful. Gone too soon. Um, And this one really resonated with me. This last one is absent father. See, for me personally, I never knew my dad. If he were right here right now listening to me preach, I couldn't pick him out. I didn't know who he was. And so there are a lot of things in our lives that impact us and impact our view on the topic of how we see the Heavenly Father, right? Sometimes it's just where we're born or sometimes it's the family we're born into. There's a lot of impacts that can show us like who God is that may distort a little bit. Your mother can do that but there's something significant about your father and that dynamic that can impact how we see our heavenly father. So for instance, young girls, a lot of times they tie their self-esteem and their identity into the father relationship. You've seen that. They they have a tagline for it. She has daddy issues. You guys heard that before? And what happens is they long for that father relationship. I saw it when I went off to college. You saw the girls that were longing through relationships with that daddy relationship that they were looking for that they didn't necessarily get. Manifests a little bit differently with, with, young, with boys, right? With boys, it's how we see authority, right? Whether it's passive or whether it's aggressive, it's how we see authority. And also, it's how we interact with the women in our lives. From our mothers to our sisters to our relationships with our our girlfriends to even our spouses. Some of that stuff can bleed in and we don't even know what's happening. 
And so there's this song lyric by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And it says, God, I want to be like you because he wants to be just like me. I think about when I come home from work and Anna's running up to me, but my boys, you know, I take Steph into track and football and he's showing me what he learned, or how far he can throw the ball or daddy play catch and running full speed to me and the pitter patter of two year old feet trying to be like Stefan because he's trying to be like me. And just the impact we have as fathers because there's this natural desire to please and be and see and have your father see you that way. I didn't realize growing up that I had a father void. I thought I was actually good. It wasn't actually to this study that I realized like, man, I have a father void. See, when I grew up, my mother was great. She was a praying woman over me. I never said, man, why didn't dad call me? Or who is my dad? Never had a desire when I got older to say, let me go find him and reach out. That was never there. But as I was studying for this, that void came in other areas, whether it was the culture or music or sports athletes. And it just dawned on me. It's like, man, I put this perception of a father that may have had a chasm between me and the earthly father. And so in those alone moments, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, if you're truly honest and you're wondering, God, are you even there? Do you even exist? Can I even feel your presence? Am I just reading this for head knowledge and not really having a relationship with you? I had those times because I didn't realize that I had that void. And maybe some of you out here have had that void or that challenge connecting with the heavenly father. Maybe sometimes he's felt distant. Like he's not there. Or maybe he didn't understand you. Or maybe you were insignificant. He doesn't really care about you. There's this big God out there. Maybe you're not important. Or maybe he doesn't even exist at all. So I have a friend that's an atheist. And we went out to dinner. And our time out to dinner, I noticed that we had a lot of similarities based on our father relationship. You see, he too didn't know his father. And when you define the term atheist, he thought it was he didn't believe, with, believe in God, but essentially it means without God. And so this same man who was a little boy was without his father, and maybe that became his gap. So I think it's important what we do today, church, is that we attack the main issue. We understand what the real issue is. So there's this book, it's called Path Between the Seas. And it's talking about in the early 1900s when they were building the Panama Canal. And you'd have men out there and workers, they were getting them, and a lot of people were dying because there was an infestation of mosquitoes, millions of mosquitoes, and people were dying. And they were trying to figure out, what's the cause of this? Why are all these people dying? So they tried to troubleshoot and figure it out. And so what they thought, they thought it was the ants. So there was a lot of ants, and they were like, the ants or what's killing the people. The ants are bringing the disease and bringing the virus. So they had this smart idea. Around their fruit trees and their infirmaries, they started to get these mounds of water to cover it and protect the people in the trees from ants. And if you know, like I know, a mosquito desires nothing than a stagnant pool of water. So in reality, they were creating the problem instead of attacking the real issue. So I think it's important for us that we attack the real issue, that we can break down these barriers, and I wanna go down this journey that may have distorted some of our, view, our views of who the Father is and what his heart is. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna give us some of my personal reading time. There's countless fathers in the Bible if you read through it, but I'm gonna going focus on three during my personal reading time. I told you this came out of my personal devotion, and I'm gonna show, right, good men of God in these stories, trying to do the right thing. But even from that, we can get a distortion from the father's heart. And so we're going to tell their story, but then at, and then at each one at the conclusion, we're going to say what God says about us because search, that's so, so important. And how do we know what God says about us, church? Through his word. So the, the, the first story, let me give you a little background. The first father we're going to focus on is Eli, and this is found in the, um, the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. And it's the first couple of chapters, right? So Eli is a pretty big deal. 
This is the time in Israel where they were looking for a king. They wanted a king, right? And God the Father said, no, I'm your king. I'm enough for you. But they wanted something physical because they saw all the people in the other lands like, man, they have kings, right? I want something physical, right? Something like, a little bit like the distortion we see now, right? We have the Father, but we see our own Father. We want something physical as well. We have a little bit of the parallel there. And so Eli was a big deal. He was the priest and the second to last judge. He heard from God. He was the one that can go into the Holy of Holies. Um, he would have the other priests under him. That was his job, right? So he was a pretty big deal in the community. And a little sidebar, there's this lady, and she's caught in this like sister-wife relationship where she has a husband and he has another wife and she's laughing at her because she's barren and she can't have a son. She prays, she has a son, his name is Samuel, right? And so what she does with Samuel, she says, man, this is such a blessing from God. I'm going to say, Samuel, you are God. So Samuel goes with Eli. And so now Eli has this adopted son in his care that he's mentoring. And so that takes us to our text because Eli has two additional sons, his biological sons. And so in 1 Samuel 2 and 12, it says this. Now the sons of Eli, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. So think about that, dads. You're praying for your kids. You're taking them to Bible study. You're taking them to Sunday school. You're doing all the things for them. And they grow up and they don't know the Lord. That's tough. My prayer for my kids amongst anything, it's not to be the best in school sports. It's like, I want them to know Jesus. That's what I want them to know. So Eli, he's in this position now or his sons, they don't know the Lord. So we go to verse 17, and it says, Thus the sin of the young men were very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So this is giving us some context of what's happening with Eli's sons while they don't know the Lord. The previous verses before that, it tells us that in this, in this time, people would bring an offering, Right? It would be some type of animal that they would slaughter and it'd be an offering they'd bring to the priesthood. Eli's sons were priests at the time under him. And they would bring this offering in. And what would happen is you would have the burnt part for sins and atonement. And that offering would go to God. There would be a portion of it that would stay with the priest, right? It's kind of like paying you know, the pastor so he can do what he would do. But then there was another part that they can just take home and they can have the barbecue where the dad can grill it all up on Father's Day, right? And that's how it was supposed to go. But not with Eli's sons. See, what Eli's sons were doing is they were taking all of the offering for themselves and they were keeping it and said, look at me now, what can you do? And so that gives some insight on where Eli's sons were and why they were far from God. And so if we go to verse 23, this is Eli talking to his sons. He's saying, why do you do such things? His heart's kind of pouring out to him. He says, so I hear all the evil dealings from all these people. Look at this, church. All the evil dealings. Not only that, in the verse before that, not only were they stealing from God, they were also caught in sexual immorality. They were bringing young women into the church, into the holy place, and assaulting them and basically having their way with them. And then it says, from all these people. So it just wasn't a one-time deal where they were, oh, this one person said this, that it wasn't us. It was if all of you came to Pastor Reagan and there was somebody there on the staff and said, this is what his guy's doing. This is what your sons are doing. And how can you rebuke all these people with their word, right? And so if you continue to read on, it says, know my sons. It's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. Then he says this, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for them. But if someone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Now on the surface, it sounds like Eli gives them a good rebuke, right? As a father, you're like, okay, you know, I can raise you up, but you have your own accountability. Let me give you a good rebuke. But that actually wasn't Eli at all. He was actually to the end of his rope. He thought he needed to intervene, and he gave a rebuke. And we know that because in verse 29, it says, you honored your sons above me. 
So God was telling them, you were putting your sons above me from the start. That's why they got to this place. It says, but they did not listen to the voice of their father. But isn't it good to know our God is full of grace, right? He's a redeemer. And so verse 26 tells us, it takes us to his adopted son. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in both stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. So Eli gets that second chance at fatherhood, and we'll see that a little bit later. But man, as fathers, discipline, discipline is tough. We know it's necessary. We have to discipline, but it's tough. Where's that line as fathers where we want, them show, we want to show the love and compassion of God, but then also we don't want to be too harsh, too overbearing and demanding, and where do we find that line? And we don't always get it right. I heard a story of three triplet young boys, and they did everything together. They looked alike. They acted alike. They were, they were just alike in almost every way, so much so is that when they got in trouble, they were tight-lipped, and they wouldn't tell on the brother. They had that brother bond. And so a neighbor talks to the father, and he's like, man, what in the world do you do when these boys get in trouble? He's like, it's actually pretty easy. I send all three of them to their room without supper, and then the next morning, the one with the black eye, that's who I punish. <laughs> but fatherhood and discipline, it's... It's difficult. I remember coming home from work and I get this long text from Cece, my wife. And it is, um, I don't like long texts. Like, just call me. Like, if there's something that important, just call me. Now, if it's something quick, I'll text. But if I like talking to you, call me. Don't give me this long paragraph, a little sidebar, honey. Um, this is for all the, the mothers out there. It's not just you. So I get this long text and then the heading of it says, your son. And all the dads out there know when it's something for trouble is your son. When it's something good is my baby, you know, so it was your son. And we moved into a new house not too long ago and it has a swing set and it has a trampoline and the family before us, they had toys in the back. So we'll find stuff from them from time to time. And so she was at home with the three kids while I was at work. Our son, Stefan finds this toy. He's really into it. He's playing with it. He brings it in the house. Mom says, hey, where'd you get that at? He's like, oh, I, just, I found that out back. And she's like, okay. Comes in later, and I guess mother's intuition really kicks in. She's like, Stefan, where'd you get that toy? And he was like, I stole it. And so she gives him the rebuke, and then she says the words that every mother has said, wait till your father gets home. Have you said that, mothers? Have you guys said that before? And so when I'm reading this long text, it, it, it at least buffers me, so it's a blessing you gave me that text because it gave me a little time to process so I wouldn't come in so harsh. I got to process a little bit, and I'm like, man, first of all, this kid doesn't even need any toys. It was just Christmas, and we had a grandmother cold war to see who can buy the most toys, so we don't need any more toys. What in the world? And then I thought about it. I was like, when did he even go to the store to get a toy? And I was like, oh, that was actually on my watch. I took him to Target that Saturday. And I was actually doing a good husband thing. I gave my wife some time to kind of process without the kids. I took all of the kids. We went to Target. They can see and play with the toys for free. And then I took them to Costco or Sam's to get some ice cream. So it was a $10 outing with all the kids. And then I looked like a hero to my wife. So I get home and he sees dad. And before I have to say anything, he's there and he's crying and he's sniffling. And I just look at him and I said, son, just go to your room. But tomorrow, we're going to Target and you're returning that toy. And he's like, no, no, just beat me. Just give me a whooping. I don't want to do that. Like, he didn't want to do, he didn't want any part of that. So we're on our way to Target the next day. We're in the car and it's completely silent. It's, it's almost like I'm transporting a, an inmate from jail to prison. You don't hear anything. He's kind of in the back. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm processing, and I'm like, man, I hope I get a manager to kind of play the game with me a little bit, to, you know, give me a little good cop, bad cop, maybe like that, or maybe go in the back and say, son, we usually go to the authorities with an infraction, like, just to give me a little something to kind of get them riled up and just to scare them a little bit, right? Don't judge my parenting, people. Don't judge me. <laughs> and so we get there at Target. We get in the store. I see all the red shirts at the counters. I'm like, where do I even go to do this? I'm like, I, I, this isn't in the parenting handbook. Where do you go when your kid steals a toy? And so we just go to customer service. 
and we go there, and there's a young girl there. She's probably mid to, to young 20s or whatnot. And I said, go over there. I said, tell her what she did. He goes over there, he hands her the toy, and he goes, I stole this from the store. And so she looks down at him, and she goes, oh, sweetie, thank you for returning this. And I'm like, this is not the library. You can't just get toys and just return it whenever you want to. That's not how this thing works, right? And so there's three lessons I wanted my son to learn as a father in this idea of discipline, right? Um, the first one is that your consequences have actions, right? He has to know that. Um, the next one, I wanted him to know, son, that's not who you are. That's not who God called you to be. That's not who you are. And then the last one, I want him to know that Jesus forgives, right? And so if you look at my intentions, sort of like Eli, they seem noble on the surface, right? Some of you might say, man, you handled that well. Some of you may not, but I don't even think that's the point of the story. I think the point of the story is there's a part, this is where I told you I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable, a lot of it wasn't 100% pure in my heart. Most of it was, but not everything, right? And so there was a part of me where I thought, man, you're a reflection of me. What in the world are you doing? You're part of the Stovall last name, and now you're going out here, you're being a thief, right? Wait till Facebook gets a hold of this. You know we don't like pictures. <laughs> and so it wasn't 100% genuine, but our earthly father, he has good intentions for us. And fathers, we're only a glimpse to point our kids back to him. And so let's go to the text, right? So this idea of discipline is a tough concept, but essentially discipline is love, right? And it's hard when you're little. It's hard for us when we're a little bit older. Discipline equals love to help us get to the father's heart. I know one time from school, I got in trouble. I did something. I got detention. I got home, single mom, and she was right there with the belt, right? And I was like, man. And it's maybe old school mom. She had these famous words for me. She was like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I'm like, mom, you don't understand the impact of that. And if that's really true, let me get the belt if you really feel that way, right? And so this concept of discipline and love is tough, but let's see what the Bible says about it. So in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, it says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. So you may be going through a season right now, maybe your own cause, or maybe it's God pruning you for something bigger and better because he loves you. And we need to embrace that discipline. Just as a father disciplines the son who he delights. So that gives us that earthly glimpse where God gives the fathers just a glimpse of what his joys are. Deuteronomy 8 and 5. Be keenly aware that just as a parent disciplines his child, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It's given us this theme. Do you see the thread between it? How discipline's important and how our heavenly father uses it to show his love. In Hebrews 12 and 10 through 11, for they discipline us for a little while as seem good to them, right? And so that kind of gives you the parents, right? That's what it's talking about here, the author of Hebrews, as seem good to them. Kind of like in my story, as seem good to me. But he does for your benefit. See, the father's heart is for your benefit. It's for you. So even when discipline is hard, right, there's a benefit for you. I love this part here, that we may share in his holiness. That's the benefit, church. Don't miss that. That's the benefit. That's why we do the discipline. That's why it's the pruning, for his holiness. And if you don't have an aspect of what God's holiness, it probably doesn't impact you, but his holiness is pure. His holiness is righteous, right? All the pain that we have on this side and his holiness, his presence, we don't see that at all. And that's good to know in his discipline. And now all discipline seems painful at the time, mom with the belt, not joyful, but rather it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. Church, don't we know that discipline from our father trains us? It trains us up to be who he wants us to be like discipline in the right way from our earthly father trains us as well. And so the, the next father I want to show you about, I titled this one, um, The Heart Acceptance. 
This father is found in 1 Samuel a little bit later, and this brings Samuel to light. This father is Jesse, right? And so Jesse is, is famous for being the grandson, right? He's the grandson, grandson of Ruth and Boaz, right, if you know that story. But even more so, he has a famous son. But I want to focus on Jesse from his perspective. So at this time, the story before, Israel was looking for a king. They had a king. He sinned against God. God said, I'm going to anoint a new king. He sends Samuel to Jesse's house. He lives in Bethlehem. He heard sheep, modest life there in Bethlehem. And this entered us, entered us into the next story of our next father. So our next father were found in 1 Samuel 16 and 6. When they came, he looked, this is Samuel, on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. So he comes to the house. He knew he had to get one of the sons. The first one, he sees him. He's probably tall. He's probably stunning. Samuel says, I can get out of here. I can go to lunch. This is the one. Let's go. God rebukes Samuel in the next verse. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height of his statue stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks on the, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man, isn't it good today to know that the Lord looks on the heart? Not what you have or your status, right? Not what you can do for him. It's a free gift, and he looks upon the heart. And this is significant because later the son he eventually anoints He's dubbed the man after God's own heart. So God's even foreshadowing for us a little bit. And so in verse 8 through 12, then Jesse called Abinadab and made a pass before Samuel. So Jesse's sending his sons, right? And he says, nope, that's not him. Then Shemaha, he'll pass before him. And he says, nope, that's not him, right? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You guys can see it there. And then he sent seven of his other sons before him. And neither one was him. So I'm looking at it from Jesse's perspective, right? Samuel told him to bring all of his sons. Why wouldn't he do that? What about David? Maybe because he was the youngest and culturally at the time, it goes from oldest to youngest. Maybe he didn't accept David the same, right? Man, he's just hoarding the sheep. He's got a long time to go. He'll have his time. He got clear direction from the man of God to bring all his sons, and he didn't do it. And then he goes, don't you have another son? He's like, well, yeah, he's just herding sheep. There's nothing you would want with him. You got the guys right here in front of you. He said, go get him. And as we read the story, he's the one. But I'm looking at Jesse, the father. Why didn't he give David? That it wouldn't have did nothing to have all of his sons and let him choose. Why didn't he accept David at that time, at that point in his life? You see, because we, if we look at it, church, we all long for acceptance whether it's an earthly father, right? And ultimately our heavenly father, we all want to be accepted. And even if you didn't have a father or a good father, there's that void like I had where we want acceptance in that realm. And so it was after church one Sunday, my wife and I were sitting on the, the couch and it's that 30 minute period of quiet with three kids, seven and under where we get where it's just us, where we can talk, right? It's a beautiful moment. And so my daughter comes running down the stairs, hysterical, right? She's breathing heavy, and, she, and you're like, you can't understand her. You're like, calm down, calm down. Just tell me what it is. You get the theme, right? She does this a lot, right? And so when I calm her down, I said, what is it? Stefan, he called me ugly. I'm like, that's it? Like, this is a big outburst? But then my heart completely changed, and I'm like, oh, my daughter has a bigger issue, and the outburst he called, like I'm thinking about my son, is like I want to be Homer Simpson. He's barking, strangling him. Like, why do you keep doing this to your sister? <laughs> and so she sat down with us, and we calmed her down, and we talked during our time for the next hour to make, her, make sure she felt love. But she had an identity issue, right? Her identity of who God says that she is, she didn't realize that. And so as she get, began to intervene on our time, right, our, our time, and we made it about her. She told us something else. She goes, I think you love my brothers more than me. And so we spent another two hours there talking through that, but it actually wasn't about 
what we can say. What she needed to know is what her heavenly father thought about her. Because mommy and daddy aren't always going to be there. That's why it's so important when we're getting the character of God's heart, what the scriptures say about us. So let's go to that. In John 1, verse 12, this is what it says about us, right? When it comes to acceptance and what God thinks about us. But to all who will receive him, right? Those of us that will receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right. So it shows us when we're born into this sin nature, right? We don't have any rights to the kingdom, right? He gave us the right woo, to become children of God. Wow, that's powerful, church. He gives the right for us to be children, to be inherited into his kingdom, right? We are sons and daughters. And so if you're going out there and you don't know who you are, right? Then you can have the enemy say anything to you. You're ugly, right? Man, you're not good at this. Yeah, this job's probably going to fire you pretty soon. You're not going to be able to take care of your family. Ephesians 1 and 5, let's continue. It says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. Man, that's good. I think about it in this picture, right? I haven't actually been in an adoption agency, but I've seen it enough on movies. And, you know, the families, they'll come in there, the kids in the foster home, they'll be running around and whatnot, and they'll have the babies and the older people that typically, the teenagers that don't get picked up, and you kind of get to see them in their element and, you know, choose one you like. It sounds like a kennel now I think about it. But I know it's not like that, but you kind of get to choose. And I think about in God's adoption agency for those that believe, right? He comes, he sees you. Jesus is standing alongside of you. He sees who the, who is, who's the ones that believe in him, and he sees you in the back, and you're 17, about to get processed out. He says, Jesus, go get that one. And through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, he adopts us in his family. That's good news today, church. That is really good news. And so the, the last one in building this case for, for God and his acceptance, it says, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. So that really goes and tells our value system, how much he cares for us, right? Even in the, it, it, tells, us, it tells us too, like the number of hairs are, are, are counted on your head, right? On your head. I love my wife and my children, but I don't know the numbers of hairs on their head. And I probably never will because the father's love for them is greater than what I can ever have because he created us. And so the last and father, final father, um, I titled this one Reflection. And so this father, it's found in Luke, and it can be called sometimes the two brothers or the lost son, but it's most famously known as the prodigal son. And so let's get a little context around this, right? And so this is not just a story that pop culture uses a lot of times, and they make, you know, I think there's a, a TV show about it as well too. This is the third story in a story of a cycle of redemption. So there's the lost sheep that comes before it and the lost coin. And don't we know when Jesus makes a point or an emphasis, he has a purpose with that, right? And so he's trying to foreshadow about the redemption of us. And so in this story, a lot of you guys have heard it. There's this son. He says, dad, I want my inheritance. He goes off. He squanders the money away. He finds himself in a place where he thought he'd never be. He's working for somebody else now. He's down there with the pigs, close to eating the food that they're about to eat. Then this idea pops into his head. He's like, man, if I was a servant in my father's own house, it would be better for me than where I'm at now. And so he goes home and it gets us to our, our verse here in Luke 15, 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way away, man, it shows us the heart of God, reflection. His father saw him and felt compassion. He embraced him and he kissed him. Wow. And so our heavenly father, he's waiting on us, right? This father was waiting on us. It gives us a reflection of God. No matter how far away, he's waiting on us. And the story goes on to say, and it tells us about the second son. He was angry. He was mad. He didn't like that. He said, I've been with you this whole time. And this is what you do for him? And he says, son, he was lost, but now he's found. Church, don't be the church people where all we think about is 
us in this side of heaven and we don't think about others. It's a little sidebar. Don't be that son where I've been serving you and God, what about me? What about me? Because there may be a lost person in the seat next to you that needs to be found. So this story shows us that the father's heart beats with the rhythm of grace. And so we've all been that son. We've all been filthy in our sins, right? We've all been spiritually starving where we need God. We've all been to a place where we don't feel like we're good enough. We don't feel like we're worthy. We're belonging. We're, we're longing to be accepted. But in this story, in the reflection, it shows that his grace overflows. He's always there to bring us back in. He's waiting with open arms to tell us, come home, come home. Now, I know many of us may have been distorted by some perceptions of maybe a father that you've had, right? And you may need to hear that message for somebody, or you may need to tell somebody on this Father's Day, man, your heavenly father is so much better. Come home. Some of you guys may think that you're over it like the void in my life that I thought I had, where it's messing up your connection with God. I'm reminded of this story, and it speaks about this father and son, and they're traveling this path in the wilderness. And as they travel, they see the terrain turn rocky. Then they see it turn windy. And then it gets treacherous. Then it gets dark. And as they go through the path, the father stops and he asks the son, he goes, son, what would you call this road? And he looks at it, he looks down, he picks up the rocks. He's like, I'd say this is rocky. Continue a little bit further. He says, son, what about this road? What would you name the road? And he says, oh, this is Sandy. We'll call this the Sandy Road. And as they continue this episode exchange coming back and forth, it was windy. It was treacherous. It was dark. Whatever the son saw, that's how he would name the, world, the road. Once he got to his destination, the father stopped and talked to the son. He goes, every time we came to a road, you named it based on how it looked or how it felt. And he goes, that's natural. Most roads are named based on that very thing. He goes, but it's different in the Holy Land. He says, actually, the Holy Land is not based on how they look. It's based on the destination of where it takes you. He says, it's roads like the road to Bethlehem or the Damascus Road, right? You guys are familiar with these. Emmaus Road, the road to Jericho. He said, the secret to the Holy Land it's not what they look like or how they feel. It's where they end up. It's the destination. And so he told his son, he said, life looks like this at times. It looks like it's rocky. It looks like it's tough, but you've got to focus on the end goal. You've got to focus on the destination of where it leads you. He said, don't judge this life by what you see. Judge it by its destination. And I think that's the glimpse of the Father. Church, would you stand with me? You see, if we are aligned on the path or the road to the Father's house, to the Father's heart, His destination is good, church. We have confidence in that today. His destination is good for us. You see, in this crowd, there's probably a lot of people that have had hard roads, even impacted by their fathers. There's been roads of abuse in a crowd this side from their fathers. I remember my mother telling me stories that my grandmother got punched in the nose by her husband coming home drunk, and she would see that abuse in her life. There's roads of neglect. People in my family, maybe even your close family, where they said they can count on, the, on their hand how many times their dad, their earthly father, said they loved them, and they probably didn't need three of the fingers. There's been roads of gone too soon. Maybe your father was supposed to be there to walk you down that aisle. Maybe he was supposed to see you raise your kids and buy your first house and he wasn't there for you. There's roads that have not been accepted. I remember a friend in college and he loved to please his dad. That's the one thing he wanted was to please his dad and his dad never gave him that acceptance. He just never really cared. First year of college, made straight A's. He says, man, this will do it. My dad will accept me for this. Calls his dad up on the phone and said, Dad, you won't believe it. First year of college, you sent me away. I made straight A's. 
awkward silence on the phone. And his dad said, um, I'm busy. Can I call you back, son? Broke his heart. See, there's brokenness roads. There's shameful roads. Even our good fathers, because there's good men of God in this house today, we don't always get it right. We don't, as much as we try. And I thank you for the good fathers out there. But I want to tell you something, church. Our heavenly father sees you. He does. He knows you. It doesn't matter what road you've been on, what path has distorted you from finding him. He sees you and he cares for you. And the way I know that is through his word because he sent his son to die for you. His son died on the cross for you to be in perfect harmony with the father. And so no matter what road you are on today or what road you've been on, if we align on the father's road, his destination is always good, church. Church, can I pray for you if you close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed. God, it's such an honor to be in your presence. I am humbled to be before you right now with my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise because you are worthy of it all. You deserve it. Father God, I know there's many people on this Father's Day that are hurting, that may have a void that they don't even know about, Father God. God, I ask that you bless them right now, that you show them your heart, that you show them who you are, that you show them that you are good, Father God, that their past does not define them, who they are in Christ. Jesus defines them, Jesus, and we thank you for that right now. I lift up all the good fathers in this house, the fathers that are there for their kids, God, they need your prayer too. They need you to stand in the gap when we are weak, Father God, to continue to encourage them, Father God. God, we come before you on this Father's Day and we tell you, Happy Father's Day, Dad. We thank you and we love you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.